On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the stories of parents learning how to raise a child with a rare disease. Our co-hosts, Sanath Kumar Ramesh and Brittany Ratke, parents of rare disease kiddos who have very different situations. Sanath's son Raghav has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagatian-type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Brittany's daughter Everly has been diagnosed with SET-D5, a mutation that carries with it the potential for a range of complications and even other diagnoses. My name is Kevin Fryert. After 30 years doing research and development at Pfizer, I started Salem Oaks to help patients and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D. Our goal on Raising Rare is to help and lift up our listeners by sharing the unfolding stories of these two families. We also feature the stories of other rare disease families, clinicians, researchers, and industry leaders in the rare disease community. If you'd like to follow these parent stories, please subscribe to Raising Rare on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome back to Raising Rare. On this episode, we're not going to have any guests. We're just going to talk among the three of us, and we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion about the costs of having rare disease in your family or of being a rare disease family. So why don't we start like we always do? How are the kiddos doing? How's Raghav? He's doing great. The la- he's, he's successfully gone to school for the last three weeks without missing a day. I think that has <laughs> happened. Um, uh, it, it's 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 a rarity now, but I'm super excited that this this happened. So we have a special gift for him for today. I had a um, an Uber driver, actually a Lyft driver, um, when I was down in Philadelphia this week, and I said his name correctly because he was from India. So I explained, you know, about the podcast and trying to say your names correctly. I said, yeah, the little boy's name is Raghav. And he said, oh, that means big. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was, it was like very interesting. Yes. Raghav is big. In many he was, ways. He's a little man with a, with a, with a big emotional personality to him. (laughs) And how's Everly doing? She's doing pretty good. We also celebrated a decent run without uh, any extra germs. She did go down two days ago, but it's nothing. You know, we did some tests. She doesn't have strep. She doesn't have the flu. She doesn't have, it's just a good old viral infection that they were able to get her on antibiotics. And we're just praying that she can fight it off because she's supposed to go under on Tuesday and we don't want to reschedule again. So, but she's doing pretty good. Well, I hope she does well. Thank you. She's looking forward to the Ronald McDonald house next week. So that's her motivation right now. She needs to get in that gym. She said at Ronald McDonald house. So (laughs) there's a lot weighing on that. (laughs) 
maybe that's a good entrance to what we're talking about here. You know, what are the costs of being a rare family? And so you've got a procedure coming up next week. Brittany, what are the costs that are just kind of floating around there? Just, you know, kind of give us a wide scope and then we'll figure out which one to dive into. Yeah, I'll try to stay as broad as I can, but even this morning, so the first one that comes to mind is the emotional well-being of my son. So he's really struggling whenever we leave and Abby's not here. He's worried about her. He has a change in schedule and that really affects him because he's a huge schedule-oriented kid that wants to know what's happening. So that's one segment. It's the the actual cost. So you can't get into Ronald McDonald House. You can't plan ahead to secure a space. You call when you get down there, but sometimes they make exceptions. So planning out hotels and food and all of that stuff, if you aren't participating at the Ronald McDonald House, which sometimes there's just not capacity. Uh, my own mental preparation and grief and cost of planning next week and trying not to compare it to other visits. And I think those are kind of the broad ones off the top of my head. I know there's more because I have a whole list of things in preparation for <laughs> For Mayo. <laughs> and I, I know this isn't a, even a fair comparison, but travel, just, just travel to go anywhere for a few days for, you know, vacation or anything can be really stressful. And this is just like a thousand times more, 10,000 times more stress because you've got to add all those other layers in. Um, the uncertainty of where you're going to stay would be I I don't think I could take that. I I I'd feel completely lost um, heading into something like this. Yeah, I'm struggling with that a bit actually because this is our first time with her blood sugars being so erratic when she has to fast for a procedure. We typically have to be hospitalized the night before to just keep her in a safe spot. And without having a definite answer on where we're staying, we actually are not being put inpatient and we're trying something new with her G-tube and using a special clear formula to see if we can stay out of the hospital with the extra germs. But the uncertainty of not knowing where we're staying and how close to the hospital we'll be if something does happen, that's a huge emotional toll for me. Sounds scary. I know these hospital visits are always scary, and and you know, I, it's surprising. Not it is not surprising that you talked about emotional costs first over financial or uh, other costs, because I think at the end of the day, that is the price that you cannot ever earn back. And I hope you know you get a spot in the Ronald McDonald house because that's, that I, I think will make your life a lot easier. I think so too. I think it gives you a little bit of comfort and peace. And then on top of that, it gives her something to look forward to because there's so much for her to do there. She knows the people, they know her. 
So it's almost like if she's comfortable, I'm comfortable. And you probably know that very well. <laughs> it, you know, their, their wellness and how they're feeling is a lot dependent on how we feel as caregivers and parents too. Oh yeah. The kids pick up on everything that's going through your mind and heart. Um, you just, you can't, you can't conceal that, right? They, they just know you too well. Speaking of kids picking up on, um, on, on your emotions, uh, we recently had Raghav's grandparents uh, come and stay with us for a few months. Um, and that has definitely changed how he behaves and reacts to situations. Um, you know, he's, he's still on a good junk of medita- medications now to keep his crying under control. But I feel like um, when he starts crying, he has someone that he can look, f- look up to, to imitate um, their responses um, because he doesn't really know how to regulate himself when he's crying, but then he looks up to someone and tries to sort of copy what they say. Uh, and if uh, if the person in front of them is someone that, they, that he trusts and believes in, then he's more comforted faster and the episode sort of stops quicker than, uh, than previously. So I, I, I think speaking of cost, we obviously had to bring um, them over here. The financial cost is, is small compared to um, their the cost that they are spending to leaving their homes in India and staying with us for a few months. Uh, I think that's uh, in the opposite of cost, in my opinion. Is it's a lot of generosity. Wow, I, there's so much to kind of look at there. Starting where you started, which is Raghav's reaction to them, it it makes me it makes me aware that he's aware. So he recognizes his grandparents, even though he hasn't seen them in six months or a year, however long that this pause has been from them coming. But the trust is there, the love is there, the everything, and you say he's in there. And he's computing all that, um, and that actually calms him down, which is wonderful. But it really is—I don't know—I just I'm astounded by it. You know, the power of the brain. Me too. And speaking of real cost, financial cost, I think uh, I, I think of a lot of um, you know hospital visits, what the insurance pays us. Um, all of those are actual dollars. You know, we're now trying to find a physical therapist for him. Um, and turns out physical therapists aren't being paid as much. And so they, a lot of them very recently quit their business. Uh, and so there's a, a lack of enough qualified physical therapists for him. And the ones that currently work with us or want to work with us will not bill insurance. So we have to pay out of, out of pocket and uh, insurance may reimburse us for these services at a different rate. Um, so that's actually tangible cost. We have to pay for um, nannies. We have to pay for medical equip- equipments. We um, got an accessible vehicle for Raghav that has been a life-changing, life-changer for him, but we have to pay for that. Uh, <laughs> I think the, 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 the statistics that, I don't know, the government um, uses to measure 
what an average cost of living in an area would be is is so vastly underestimating the cost of someone that has a rare disease patient at home. I had such a strong reaction to that because I was sitting here writing down all these things when you were saying that, like, and the thing is, is these costs play into our um, emotional well-being too, I feel like, because, you know, you're, for instance, um, when I was going through Everly's schedule next week at Mayo, one of the visits they added in was for the billing office. So they didn't tell you about that one, but they, they want you to stop in there and chat and you're just like, oh, I don't, you know, you're already keeping yourself together for all other 13, 13 appointments. I really don't want to have a discussion about that right now, you know, or, you know, like, like you said, the insurance, you're hopeful they'll pay for this. But then I'm, we also are still like three or four years in waiting for her state insurance to go through. So because they're severely behind in processing and you said about the nanny and um, daycare and medications that aren't covered or changes to make our home more accessible for her or there's just this list and I'm sure we could go on for quite a while on what that looks like but I'm so intrigued with how much that plays into the cost of our own mental health too because we're taking that all on too and it's not easy yeah and and you know we will have to we have to pay for all of these services but in addition to paying for the services the cost of calling these people following up with them finding the right providers um the upfront for cost of even finding the service provider or the product at the first place is enormous it's not like i can walk into an apple store and buy the best quality diaper i, I want for raghav there's just no store to do that um i cannot just the the when we bought an accessible van um we had to go very far uh to a store that looked kind of like a garage um and i had to double check that there was actually a store there um and when we sat in the store to talk to the salesperson all we could hear was dogs multiple dogs laughing and oh, sorry barking and crying in the background um and turns out Nobody wanted to buy that um, piece of uh, uh, area because there was a dog parlor next door and it was insanely loud for any office space. And so these guys bought it because it was super damn cheap and it was way far outside of the way. Just calling this out because you, if you want to buy a Toyota car, you would go into a showroom, someone would greet you, they would hand you a bottle of water, they would seat you nicely, and they would walk you through the process of all the paperwork and signing in the next 20 minutes, and you're walking out with a car. And in my case, I had to spend six months dealing with, with, with a whole bunch of people to try to get a car, which was then on wait list. And then when the car showed up, had a whole bunch of issues, and no one would take responsibility for any of that. It just, to me, it speaks to that we think about our healthcare system not being built to deal with rare diseases. Well, just our economy is not built to do that. If you have to go to, I don't know what, what's the right description of that, that store where you got your, or that, that shop where you got your customized van, accessible van. If you got to go to someplace like that, instead of someplace where there's 
a decent customer experience where people understand what you're going through and have some empathy and care, you know, that's just, that just seems wrong. And again, it goes back to what Brittany said. That goes back to the, the burden on mental health. All these things, you, you know, you had to sit in an office with a bunch of dogs barking. Whoa. Um, when you purchase cars, it's it's sort of one of the bigger expenses you do in your life besides buying a house. So you want to get a good experience, and you want to you want to feel good about it. By the time I finished purchasing the car, I was I, w- I just w- I was praying to myself that I was not handing off a check to some scammer. Now that's scary too. It's like you've invested all this time and money and something that's a really big need for you and your family, and then adding that stress on top of it, you know so much to think about what's it been in terms of the costs on like relationships for you oh well, that's a big one i haven't even thought about it <laughs> that's huge um definitely the relationship between me and Ramya has changed substantially. Um, it's changed from what I thought it should be to uh, something very different. Um, and we are having to build and rebuild and reshape our relationship all the time, every week. Um, what makes all of this worse is I, I think of our, our mental state as like a, a rubber band that's stretched to its maximum and any extra tension is going to snap the rubber band. Uh, and we're always living in this state all the time. And on top of this, any small stressors that come into the picture um, only strains our relationship, strains the rubber band anymore. Uh, and recovering from a snap of the rubber band takes a lot of time. Um, and that, that takes toll on our emotional well-being, on our relationships, between me and Ramya and also my relationships with my parents, my friends, uh, sometimes even at work. And so there's a there's a, a a very vast price that we pay to keep our relationships the way we are, despite living through the, the, the pain of dealing with rare diseases. How about you, Brittany? The funny thing is I had never thought about that either until <laughs> until we were just talking, but I can relate to mostly everything you said. I think my marriage is different. My friendships with people I've been friends with forever. I don't really have time to start new friendships um, or the capacity sometimes, the mental capacity, because... I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good wife. I want to be a good coworker. I want to be all of the things, a good aunt, but it's really, really hard because some days all I can be is a nurse and caregiver and a good rare disease mom. And it's, you, I, I personally live with a lot of guilt and we talked about this on a different episode and something I'm working through is because I know I can't be all those things, but I'm also like a high performer and really want to be all those things. Um, And still, I think you live with a little bit of grief. You would never change where things are in your life. I personally wouldn't change, you know, our life, but you think back on who you were before and 
what things looked like and that you just grieve a little bit of that and the relationships because at the same time there have been some really amazing growth in relationships because people have supported you like nobody's ever supported you in all of this too so it's a really wide range I feel like I know I'm kind of all over the place but that's kind of how I feel about the relationships too it's like some are really good and some are really struggling because we just do the best we can in the moment I'm struck by kind of the surround sound of relationships that you guys just referred to it's not just that you think relationship and you think your spouse, you think your kids, but no, it's, it's coworkers, friends, other family, just someone you meet on the street somewhere or in, in your cases. And in my case, you know, you meet other rare families at, at different places and those relationships. And Sonneth, when you talked about the rubber band being stretched and just, it just needs one more stretch and it's going to snap. It reminds me of a, a little placard that my daughter has in her house, and it says, be kind. You don't know what someone else is dealing with. And when you think of that in a relational way, somebody at work, you know, touches the wrong, you know, fiber on you, and it snaps, and they're like, what happened there? Um, and And putting that back. You've got to explain everything. And it, it just, it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much to repairing something, which was probably, you know, hey, could you hurry up? We're going to lunch or something minimal. But it was that last straw. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think, I think, uh, think back at a lot of ways in which my work has changed. Um, and I have very little tolerance for people rambling in meetings i have very little tolerance unfortunately i end up either spacing out and and doing something else in parallel or just shutting them off which pisses them off but i just don't want people to waste my time and it's 30 more seconds but hey it's 30 more seconds i could have lived peacefully in my own head taken a deep breath to to calm myself or or made the phone call that i should have made but i don't have that bandwidth to be okay with 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 things not going the way i want them to i think so much of our life is scheduled and planned that like anything outside of that is really <laughs> really hard to digest it's like we have to stay on this you know we have to take this medication we have to do these things at a certain time to survive so anything outside of these, and it's hard to realize that not everybody else lives in these same, I, I hate to use constraints, but it really is these life or death decisions that we're constantly making. Uh, so it is hard for me to shut that off on the work aspect too and realize, you know, insurance is probably not life or death, but it feels to me like it is because everything else in my life is. <laughs> I, I think when you said schedules, it reminded me of something that happened recently. Um, so we have to start Raghav's feeding at uh, around 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, I have a reminder on Alexa to set a, start his pump. Uh, my dad offered to 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 prepare his food and, and turn it on at 7. Um, but every morning, 
when uh, after the Alexa reminder goes off is when he goes to prepare his food, which takes another 10 minutes, no big deal. But I get really anal about it. I am, I want his food to start soon so it doesn't end too late uh, and, and he doesn't stay hungry for too long. So I had a long conversation about that with my dad, which again goes back to the cost of, of impacting relationships. You know, they're doing the best they can. All I'm talking about is five extra minutes uh, of, of doing it sooner and starting at 7 a.m. But then the conversation uh, and the and, and the time we take to to communicate on that topic and 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 how inconsequential it feels like um, impacts our relationship quite a bit, and that's a that's a price to pay. That kind of reminds me of how I feel about. Uh, I've done some of my own therapy and she was talking about how we let other people help or if that would be helpful to me or not. And it makes me think about how she said like, yeah, if you just, you know, took the extra 30 minutes to explain how something is done, like, don't you think that would feel good for yourself? And it would take some of that burden off of you to feel like you had a little bit more me time. And, and I, I, would rather not explain it to somebody else. I would rather just keep doing it myself because I know what that looks like. I know she'll be safe. I know that she knows what to expect and it's hard to give up some of that power. And then you bring back in the relationship piece, like someone is desperately wanting to figure out a way to help you. And that might be that they're really good at that thing, but you just don't want to give up the power. And I I struggle with that too, which can go hand in hand with the relationship piece sometimes. Yeah, I think we've talked in the past about how hard it is to ask for help and then actually take it. Um, but you need to do that in the situation. You, There's no way you can, as you said before, you can't be perfect in all those things you want to be perfect in and still do this number one thing. So you've got to draw others in and it's really hard. We're just not wired that way. And another, another hidden, hidden cost in all of this is the opportunity cost, the cost of not being able to do the things you want, not not um, reaching the goals that you thought you want to reach, um, the the lack of time to uh, even focus on our careers, uh, because sometimes you know focusing on our careers mean not focusing on our kids. And that's you know that is that is not just irresponsible. That is that is impossible. I mean. Their, their 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 literal healths and lives depend on our on our ability to stay focused on their health and and I think the opportunity cost is just impossible to quantify um, in all of this. A hundred percent, and it's really interesting, right? Because we've had the discussion before that I think some of these things that we have endured and we continue to do actually make us better for our employer and better employees. At the same time, we still aren't at our you know max potential by any means because we continue to focus where we need to draw our focus to. It's interesting. I had the opportunity to talk to a number of other rare patients that we know. And one of them was, was Casey McPherson. And, and I think he's someone who kind of looks at things now and says, wow, this is, this is a better Casey than I ever envisioned. Um, he's, he's just, it's turned on all sorts of 
opportunities and requirements for him that he's just grown through. Um, and, you know, on the long view, that's great. But today, it's just, you got to keep leaning in. And that gets tiring, that gets uh, wearing. Um, and you just got to look for those those long view wins um, and say, yep, it's worth leaning in today for that long view. And sometimes you need to just, um, as you put it a couple weeks ago, Sonneth, unplug, go off the grid. Um, so you you did that recently. Um, I don't want to I don't want to dive into it too deep, but just what does that even mean when you say you unplug and go off the grid? What do you turn off? Well, I think. Turning off or not, or not is, is 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 less important. I think what is more important is is recognizing how you feel at the moment, how knotted you feel, how how tangled everything is for you, um, and then and then taking the time and space to 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 break out of your routine. And I think that is what I did for a couple of days. Um, and that really, really helped us um, be better, uh, stay less depressed, um, take a step back from what's going on, and and being be able to even enjoy these days that Drago is actually going to school despite his challenges. Because you know we got so worked up um, during the last four months that that uh, we were so sensitive but at the same time also had also also had a lot of false positives we we were so sensitive to all of the changes happening in Raghav's life but at the same time we were also being overly sensitive and um, reacting to things that didn't have a meaning um, after this break I think we've gotten a little bit more tolerance to what's going on in our life and and some perspectives that not everything needs to be acted upon we don't have to you know think of life as as um as, as something that 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 doesn't have a clear future um it's not as depressing as, as, as i thought thought out to be it yeah and i think the impact for you and for your wife and your whole family is huge and I know we talked briefly on this, but a year ago I did something similar and kind of felt some of the same things that you did. And it was something very minor that kind of tipped tipped me over the edge, I remember, and thinking like, man, I feel like I'm having a really strong reaction to this, like a physical body reaction. And then realizing like, I feel like this is a space where I really need to step back for a little bit. And mine was a little bit longer than a few days where I really took a break from my work and focus on some other things, but the cost and the impact for me going forward was, I mean, there's almost no words. I was a different person after those month, that month or two, because I needed almost a month to even feel quote unquote normal again or functional. Um, and there's no value you can put on that to just be able to face everything at a head and then come back and, and do it again. 
And I think part of our life going forward is that's probably going to happen a lot. And I feel like I have a better grasp on that and I can catch it sooner. Whereas like you did, you took a few days. I had to take a month or two and then you catch it a little sooner each time or you have a different resource or a tool in your toolbox to handle that for yourself and your family or whatever it is that you're going through. Before Sonneth described it as being tangled or knotted, and you just talked about the month it took you just to untangle to where you could get to. Okay, now how do I move forward? I wonder, and it's just, this is the what I see, everything kind of intertwined here to kind of mix the, the metaphor a bit, but the it's intertwined. One thing is to be very diligent about, gee, am I getting tangled up? But guess what? That diligence is just another tangle. Am I paying enough attention to myself? Am I caring for myself? It's just one more thing on the list, right? And it just, to me, that's the, the unfairness that can put you into a bad spot. Well, and the impact it has on our kids for me it's not just Everly it's Maverick and you mentioned at the beginning of the episode the toll and how they feel everything and I think I already take on people's emotions and uh, Maverick was fortunate (laughs) enough to be that empath like me so he really feels that and so if you think about where we are mentally it's it, w- it took perspective for me to realize that, oh man, they really don't need to be taking that on at three and four. Like, how can I move my perspective and self-care around so it's not impacting their day-to-day stuff as well? Because that's a lot to take on for us, but think of trying to tackle that at in the toddler stage where you don't even have the tools. And I don't even have a full toolbox yet. I, fe- I have a feeling they'll grow out to be different human beings than than otherwise. And they'll probably grow out to be more emotionally mature and stable and and have a a toolbox to handle these kind of situations that, uh, Brittany, maybe you and I don't don't even know how to get to the toolbox right now. Hopefully it's it's a good thing, but again, like having, helping them through these phases is is a challenge in, in and of itself. And I, Hats off to you for for doing all of that. You as well. I I think as we heal ourselves, we're healing them too. I I really do believe that. I don't know if there's any research on it, but there's several anecdotes that I've heard of those siblings doing just what Sana said. Growing up more quickly, probably more quickly than they should. Right. They that's the hard part is that, you know, the 10 year old shouldn't seem like a 17 year old or a 20 year old. You know, they they should seem like a 10 year old. You know, they should be exploring the rest of what life is for them. And um, and I don't I really don't want to just like throw other things at you guys because it this could just be a sad conversation. Um, but it is something that we need to pay attention to are those siblings and learn from other siblings um, that have gone through this. Um, there is a book out there called The Sibling mm, the Sibling Manual or something like that, but it's for adult siblings. It's not like a kid's book that kind of gets you through, you know, oh, what's, you know, my little brother or sister has something wrong and what does that mean for me? I actually had a conversation 
or started a conversation with the school district because I was looking at all these resources for Everly. And then like two weeks ago when Maverick was having a hard time, I was like, you know what? That's actually a really good point. Like what resources are they provided as siblings? You know, we put all these things into place, but there's actually a huge emotional toll that they take on, like you just said, and was super curious about what that would look like if there was anything available for him. And I'm really interested to see what they come back with or if it'll be like an outside place that we need to, you know, provide to him that has resources. Because it's just, there's not enough out there right now, in my opinion, or maybe I haven't found it yet. No, I think the first thing is you start expressing needs like that and, you know, things like that will will come about because I don't think, I. that's the wrong word. I know you're not the only one who's who's in that situation where you have a, a able-bodied, typical health sibling in your, in a rare family. So I think it's your, your idea of resources. That's one of the things you guys are extremely resourceful for all of these issues, all of these costs, um, you found ways to overcome them. And I think that, you know, that's what looking forward is how do you just continue being resourceful and, and taking advantage of those resources or asking for someone to create them. I think I lived, that makes me think of just living in a time where we didn't have the resources for the first year or so. And now I don't ever want to look back. (laughs) So it's almost like you will do whatever it takes and you go to the end of the earth because I don't want to go back to where you felt like you didn't have resources or people available or a team or us talking, like even the three of us. How interesting it is that it always comes back to that mental health. And then one sidebar is that I just hope that in the same way that all of us can feel connected and heard, I hope somebody else feels validated and heard in this space too. Just That's a wonderful thing to, to wish for people. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4.org on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. The SET D5 community is currently getting organized. We will let you know where you can donate soon. You can continue to follow Raghav and Everly stories next time on Raising Rare.